Hello and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we tell you all about some strange things that have happened in history. I'm Amelia Edwards and with me as always is my co-host Barnaby King. Hello there. Hello. And how are you? I am not well. Mm-hmm. And I have two mouth ulcers, so talking can be a little bit painful sometimes. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So, great day to do a podcast. Um, <laughs> so, hopefully, you've got a nice, you know, just chill story for us that I don't really have to react to very much. It's not going to be like, what? Oh, my God, I can't believe that person built a house out of cheese and then <laughs> threw servants through it or something. No, that didn't happen. Okay. Or um, did it? No. Uh, although it is a slightly unexpected story. Okay. In that I actually found this after following links on a Reddit thread on the subreddit Unexpected. Oh, okay. I mean, that is the nature of our podcast is Unexpected. So a good place to start, I guess. I think so. So what what started off this uh, wild goose chase of yours? I can't tell you without spoiling it. Oh, well, okay, fair enough. Um, So I'm going to tell a story in a slightly uh, backwards and forwards fashion, Mm -hmm. just because it has a great solution to it. Right. But I want things to unravel a little bit mysteriously. Yeah. Okay, so I want us to picture the time, the place, the date. It is... Well, you have to tell us first. I know, I'm going to. Well, you didn't, and you're telling me to picture stuff, and now I've just got a void in my head. Fill it. Fill that void. Okay. It is 1940, and we are in... Copenhagen. Okay. Specifically, we are in the Institute of Theoretical Physics in Copenhagen. Right. And the issue is that the Nazis have just invaded Denmark. Oh, it's so annoying when that happens. It is, isn't it? You're going about your daily life, just, you know, doing the best you can, and suddenly, oh shit, Nazis. Yeah. Actually, to be fair, (laughs) that's kind of recent years. This is literally what's happening. Yeah. Um, So Niels Bohr, who I'm probably pronouncing wrong, um, but mm-hmm. he's Danish, and I don't know how Danish names are pronounced. Okay. Um, Niels Bohr, by the way, is the man who invented the atomic diagram that we all still use in school today. Oh, right. Okay. So it's not actually 100% accurate, but it's accurate enough that you can work out what's yeah. happening, which is really cool. Uh, so he's that smart. Okay. Um, and he founded the Institute, and he has a massive problem in 1940. Nazis? It is. It's kind of to do with the Nazis. <laughs> I mean, if the Nazis are, have invaded, I feel like that pretty much jumps to the top of your list of problems. Okay, but his problem is more so than other people who have just been invaded by the Nazis. Oh dear, is he Jewish? Technically, yes. Right. Um, his mum was Jewish. He's Christian. Oh, right. But, you know, that's kind of like... The Nazis might argue this one. I mean, you know? I, I don't think they're really going to discriminate if you have a family member who's Jewish, mm-hmm. especially if it's like a parent. Yeah. And particularly the mother. Like, Doesn't Judaism, like, they, they follow a matrilineal thing? Yeah, technically, yes. So this is definitely problematic. Yeah. Um, also... For the Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for Niels, like, if he's going to get away with Oh, well, stuff. yes. I just had just like the Nazis and just like, so is this man, he is not Jewish, but his mother is Jewish. Is this a problem? It's a little bit of a problem. Yes, <laughs> it's it's not really what we're going for here. Mm-hmm. He was blonde, though, I think, or at very least, like light brown hair. So he might well, have got away with it. You never know. To be fair, that doesn't make him unique in Denmark. I know, that's true. <laughs> 
so his problem is that over the course of the war, his institute, along with the support of the Rockefeller Foundation, had offered temporary jobs to German scientists who were fleeing the Nazis. Right. And then they awarded them fellowships so that they could get even further away. Mm. And that included a number of political opponents to the Nazis and obviously Jewish people as well. Yeah. Now, that's not even his problem. His problem is... We're going through a list of problems that I feel are problems. So whatever his problem is, sounds like it's going to be awful. His problem is that the German government had declared it illegal to export gold from the country. I feel like... That kind of should be low down on your list of problems, really. Well, two scientists who knew that Bohr would support them had sent their Nobel Prizes to him for safekeeping. (gasps) And those are a hefty chunk of gold. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Um, One of these scientists was still living in Germany at the time. Mm. So if they were found, obviously the Nazis would confiscate them, probably melt them down. Um, use them as their own currency, that kind of thing. And send them to Switzerland. I wasn't going to say it. (laughs) Um, But also, they know that those scientists had broken the law with disastrous consequences. Yeah. So, he's here in his lab. He's got these two whacking great medals. Yeah. The Nazis have literally just invaded. He doesn't know what to do with these medals. Like, (laughs) they're Nobel Prizes. They're precious. They're really important. But what does he do with them? Because, like, seriously, what do you do in this situation? He goes full Christopher Walken in Pulp Fiction and (laughs) hides that uncomfortable hunk of gold up his ass. (laughs) What is it, for like 14 years or something? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, no, obviously the Nazis knew he would be the most obvious person to have the medals. And a fellow scientist who worked with him, who was called George de Hevsi, I think, he's um, Hungarian, so... (laughs) Oh, you've got all the difficult-to-pronounce places. Oh, man, this is a difficult one. Um, so he pr- he suggested they should bury them, but Bohr reckoned that the Nazis would dig up the grounds and the garden. Like They would look everywhere, because they knew these medals were missing, and they knew that he had them. I think it's time for a pirate treasure map. <laughs> yes, 100%. Uh, so before I reveal the secret on how they hid these um, gold Nobel Prizes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the two scientists who won them because they're cool people. Okay. So worth talking about. So the prizes were both for physics. One belonged to Max von Lau and one belonged to James Frank. So Max von Lau had received his Nobel Prize in physics all the way back in 1914 because he had discovered the diffraction of X rays by crystals. Okay. Um, my physics isn't great. What does that mean? I think what it means is that when you shine an X-ray at a crystal, it diffracts. You know, you get the the kind of diffusion of rays. Right. Just like light. Yeah. But like, this is important. He was really into crystals and like how they worked. And then he worked with, he worked on radio technology during World War One. So, it, like, it leads up to radio technology stuff. Right. Okay. That makes sense. I thought, yeah, we're going to talk, like, he was really into the healing properties <laughs> of crystals. He got his Nobel Prize in Reiki or something. But didn't you know that quartz vibrates at a particular rate? Oh, absolutely. And, <laughs> I mean, it does, but <laughs> that doesn't lead to anything. <laughs> Except, like, watches, which are magic. Well, anyway. yes. This um, quartz vibrates at the particular frequency of your bowels, so mm-hmm. it's good for constipation. Yeah. Eat this rock. <laughs> And you'll shit it out. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, so he was massively opposed to the Nazis throughout their reign, and he mm-hmm. was extraordinar- extraordinarily outspoken about it, and for some reason they never arrested him or anything. Ah, oh, you little scamp. You're talking <laughs> bad about us again. Ah, oh, be on your way with you. So, you like... <laughs> mad crystal-loving fool. So one reason that he was so outspoken about it was because, obviously, he worked alongside a lot of Jewish scientists. Yeah. And he was friends with them to the extent that his friendship with Einstein contributed to the development and acceptance of the theory of relativity. Oh, nice. And he was, like, really passionate about this fact. Yeah. Now, here's the problem. Um, When the Nazis came to power, they decided that they were going to get rid of all Jewish physics. Right. So that means that they get rid of the idea of the theory of relativity. Yeah. They say it's not a thing. Yeah, I get you. And obviously, as a self-respecting scientist, von Lau is like... No. Yeah. So he gave an opening address at the Deutsche Physikalische Gesellschaft. Um, he gave an opening address at their physics convention in 1933. Right. Where he compared the persecution of Galileo and the oppression of his scientific views on the solar theory of Copernicus to this conflict uh, yeah. by the proponents of Deutsche Physik, which is like the idea that relativity is all bull because it was made up by Jewish people. Yeah. Um, in 1933, he's just like, nope, you are like the old church. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be pretty annoyed when he finds out that the um, Cultural Revolution in China did basically the same thing. I think they rejected um, the theory of the Big Bang. Amazing. Um, I believe so. I'm taking this mostly from uh, Xi Jinping's books. Sure. But yeah, that makes sense. To be fair, he is Chinese. It probably and... <laughs> doesn't go with the four ancient things or whatever it is. I, I forget. Yeah, it's... I'm pretty sure it was called reactionary and, you know, therefore wrong. Yeah, probably. So, um, there was a main figure of in the propagation of Deutsch Physik who was called Johann Stark. And Johann Stark himself had won the Nobel Prize in Physics in 1919. Everyone gets a Nobel Prize in this story, by the way. Yeah. He's Um, one of the lesser-known Game of Thrones characters. I know, right? Johannes Stark. Um, So he decided... (laughs) Winter is coming. I know this because I have observed the weather pattern. (laughs) It's seen in the crystallization. All right. Uh, So he wanted to become the Fuhrer of German physics. Wow. What a thing to want to be. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And the thing was, like, he was high up with the Nazis. He really liked the idea of Deutsche Physik. And so he got appointed president of the Physikalische Technische Reichenstolt, Mm -hmm. which I believe is, like, a really big deal. Yeah. In May 1933, despite the fact that all the members hated him and were like, this is nonsense. Yeah. We know that relativity is a thing. Yeah. Um, However, Lau uh, successfully blocked his regular membership in the Prussian Academy of Sciences. He was like, no, fuck off, Johannes. We are going to do relativity whether you like it or not, which is just mad, (laughs) right? So, yeah, there's a bunch of other things. Like there was this man called Franz Harbour, sorry, Fritz Harbour, um, and he had received a Nobel Prize in chemistry in 1918. Mm. But then he was forced to emigrate from Germany because he was Jewish Nobel Prize winners just hang out with each other, don't they? They really do. Um, And the thing was that when he was forced to emigrate from Germany, he died. Oh, damn. Not necessarily because of anything. He had a heart attack. Right. It could have contributed, but it wasn't like full on killed by the Nazis deal. 
Or was it <laughs> secret stealth Nazis? Could be. Hiding in sandwiches. So Lau obviously created an obituary note for him, mm-hmm. which praised him and compared his forced emigration to the expulsion of Themistocles, of Themistocles from Athens. And this was a direct affront to National Socialism, right. obviously. Right, yeah. Um, and then he also held a commemoration event for Harbour um, on the first an- anniversary of his death. Um, and attendance at the event by professors had been expressly forbidden by the government, but he still turned up. Oh, no. And also... <laughs> he turned up and he was just like, what's up, boys? I weirdly have no fear of you. Yeah. Okay, so this is the cool thing, like... A number of professors sent their wives because their wives weren't forbidden from going. Oh, right. Um, Which is really cool of the ladies. Like, imagine. That's really badass. Only two professors were like, sod it, I'm going anyway. And that was um, Lau and Wolfgang Herbner. I'm kind of imagining it as actually being a bit like a sort of reverse Monty Python. It's like, oh, no, it's all right. My wife is going and it's just them in a wig. Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, the problem is as well. Are there any professors here today? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Amazing. So there's also like just to add on to von Lau's kind of badassery in the face of Nazism. Mm. There's a story that he always left his home with his hands full of parcels so that he could avoid ever giving the Nazi salute. He was always carrying something. <laughs> oh, I see. Oh, brilliant. Right. That's really good. Yeah. So he managed to make it through the whole war without getting arrested or anything. And I don't know why. Because he had his hands full of parcels. Like, they couldn't with... handcuff him. <laughs> That's it. Absolutely. They can't handcuff him. He'll drop all of those parcels. Yeah, no, that would just be rude. <laughs> um, then he was captured after the war by Operation Alsos. Okay. Which was an operation to investigate the German nuclear energy effort, right. seize equipment, and prevent German scientists from being captured by the Soviets. Right. So it was kind of like he was captured and kind of like for his own protection. Yeah. But it's basically, let's try and get them scientists before the Soviets get them. Yeah. So he was brought to England for a year. And during that time, it became really apparent that he had never compromised on his morals, unlike everyone else at the house where they were all staying. Yeah. Um, apparently, this meant that he was a bit isolated from everyone because they all obviously felt a bit bad about stuff. Yeah. And they're like, this guy. Yeah, the permanent reminder of yeah. your compromise. Yeah, yeah, it just got to suck on both sides, to be honest. Yeah. Because I don't think I personally could have stood up to the Nazis like von lauer like i think that's that requires a lot yeah and probably a special type of person yeah a hundred percent like that's yeah you gotta be real confident and really unafraid of death or just really certain that the fact you're a von means that you get away with stuff i don't Mm. know like the guy's magic yeah anyway so in july 1946 he went back to england so he got he got let back into germany yeah um, he came back to England only four months after having been interned there in order to inter- attend an international conference on crystallography. And this was a distinct honour because he was the only German invited to attend. Oh, damn. Which is how much faith people had in him, basically. Yeah. And he was extend many courtesies by the British officer who escorted him there and back and a well-known English crystallo- 
crystallographer was his host and he was even allowed to just wander around london by himself like they were just like this guy you know he's he's cool he's, he's never go- he's yeah. never gonna go into narcissism <laughs> so that's a little bit about max von lauer i think mm-hmm. he's pretty cool to yeah. be honest and i'm not sure whether the fact they discovered his nobel prize would have made any difference because the man's untouchable yeah Don't know why. then we've also got james frank So James Frank had been awarded his Nobel Prize in Physics in 1925, along with Gustav Hertz for the discovery of the laws governing the impact of an electron upon an atom. Right. This will become important later. Okay. So in 1933, the month after the Nazis came to power, they passed the Law for the Restoration of the Professional Civil Service. And that meant that most Jewish civil servants, which included people working in universities, were dismissed or they were forced to retire early. Right. I think... So I don't know why, especially because I did study Hitler's rise to power as part of my GCSE, mm-hmm. but I didn't realise they were so quick off the mark in dismissing all Jewish civil servants, including university professors. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's always this feeling like there was, like, a, a slow build-up and, yeah. And, like, oh, it was a, like, uh, for those Nazi apologists out there, they're kind of like, it was a slow build. He didn't, like... It wasn't straight in about getting rid of the Jews. It's yeah. like, no, it it was though. Like one month after they got into power, yeah, like people in any position of importance were dismissed. Yeah, that that pretty much shows you uh, it, it's high on your list of things you want yeah. to achieve. Imagine achieving anything a month after you've got into power. Yeah, <laughs> like my God. So uh, ju- just look at the Conservatives. They haven't achieved anything. And it's been 11 years. So despite the fact that Frank was... Actually, they've achieved a lot. It's just yeah, all bad. Yeah, um... But they haven't dismissed the Jews from positions of office yet. So that's true. That's something. Way to go, Conservative Party. <laughs> so this, despite the fact that Frank was Jewish, this didn't actually apply to him. Uh, okay. Because he had served in World War One. Right. So he had special like dispensation to stay in his... Job. And that was the case for all Jewish soldiers in World War One. Oh, wow. Because, obviously, if you want to get your ideas across to the public, one of the objections is, but these men fought for our country. Right, yeah. So you go, okay, well, the ones who fought for our country can stay. Yeah. For and now. I guess if you've built your party on, like, rampant, aggressive nationalism, yeah. the whole support our troops thing, mm-hmm. you know, that's also high on your list. Along with getting rid of the Jews is support our troops. Yeah, for the moment, for the moment, and and ostensibly. Yeah. So uh, he resigned anyway, actually, um, as a protest. Yeah, Because he was like, you can't do this. This is nonsense. He was the first academic to resign in protest, actually, as like, so again, we've got one of these pretty forceful personalities Mm. is our um, Frank. (laughs) He sent in his resignation letter. The person opened it, read through it. And then right at the bottom, it just said, P.S. I farted on this letter before I sent it to you. (laughs) Of course. So he managed to find a number of jobs abroad for other Jewish scientists during the next couple of years. Right. Um, and then that, and then that helped them out of the country. Yeah. And then he himself went and worked for Niels Bohr, Mm -hmm. um, for a little while and got the whole Rockefeller foundation grant to go and settle in america cool so it was while he was in copenhagen that he left his um medal with niels bohr for self for safekeeping which makes sense because he moved around a lot um so in 1935 he moved to the usa and he worked at the john hopkins university which apparently was like really low rent compared to the universities in germany before this Mm -hmm. which i think goes some way to show 
how much the Nazis really trashed their scientific abilities. Oh, yeah. Like, they had things that far outshone America, and then after World War to America shoots ahead because all of their wonderful scientists have had to move there. Operation Paperclip. Operation Paperclip. Or even before Operation Paperclip because we're not even paperclipping yet. We're just getting the Jewish people. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he was given money from the Rockefeller Foundation to improve the laboratory there. Um, He was actually given $10,000 to improve the laboratory. Put a new new coat of paint on it, some nice wallpapering Mm -hmm. up, you know, just make it look nice and shiny. Well... The thing is, as we know, he worked with atoms. I mean, wallpapers made of atoms. <laughs> no, so this is like high, high tech stuff. Yeah. So much so that in 1942, he was asked to join the Manhattan Project. Dun, dun, dun. And people were a bit worried because they were like, at this point, they were kind of planning on nuking Germany. Yeah. Um, and obviously they were like, maybe as a German himself, he's not going to want to do this. Yeah. Um, he may not want to do this, but we really want to because, you know, yeah. we've, got, we've got this new toy. Yeah. And we want to try it out. So um, a quote from a fellow scientist was, how Frank welcomed an invitation to join our project. It was a vote of confidence that far exceeded his hopes and it gave him a chance to do his part for the cause of freedom. It's not the German people I'm fighting, he explained. It's the Nazis. They have a stranglehold over Germany. The German people are helpless until we can break the strength of their Nazi masters. So he's like really all for it. Or paraphrase, nuke the Nazi bastards. Nuke them all. Now, the thing is that Frank, again, is like a really, was like a really thoughtful person. So he headed the chemistry division of the Manhattan Project. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was also the chairman of the Metallurgical Laboratories Commi- Committee on Political and Social Problems for the Atomic Bomb. Okay. Um, so as a result of this, in 1945, he warned Henry A. Wallace of their fears that mankind has learned to an- unleash atomic power without being ethically and politically prepared to use it wisely. I mean, makes sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he and... Uh, his committee compiled something that was called the Frank Report, which was finished on the 11th of... I know, it was pretty direct. It was direct. <laughs> it was finished on the 11th of June, 1945, and recommended that the at- atomic bomb not be used on Japanese cities without warning. Right, yeah. So obviously people went against this. Yeah. But I think it's an in- an important point to make that he was on the Ma- Manhattan Project, he wanted to help humanity, and he thought about the fact that it would unleash this kind of devastation. Yeah. So, you know, big ups to Frank, I think. Yeah, that's also, you know, I'm not, I've not thought of it before. That's quite a clever way, really, of of doing that, of, like, showing off the nuke, but also mm. not killing quite so many people in the process. Like, <laughs> yeah. obviously, you're still going to have a huge cloud of radiation and everything like that. But, yeah, okay, that 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 makes more sense. Yeah, and so, obviously they just went, nah, we're just going to kill them. Yeah, no. Like, they were just like, uh, no, we want to show the Soviets what we can do. Mm. We really want to show the Soviets what we can do. Yeah. And then we're going to steal all the scientists from Germany. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, Soviets. We're already planning for the next war. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. So let's go back to their Nobel Prizes. Okay, And how yes. they got hidden. Up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> That uncomfortable hunk of metal. So, George de Hevesy, um, the guy who was thinking about how to bury them in the garden, and it was like, no, that's a bad move. Yeah. Um, he thought maybe he could make the medals disappear. 
Ooh, okay. He decided, as a chemist, that the best thing to do would be to dissolve them. Right, okay. So there is a chemical emulsifier, which is called aqua regia. And this is a mixture of three parts hydrochloric acid and one part nitric acid. Right. And it can dissolve gold. Oh, damn. It's basically the only thing that can dissolve gold because gold is, you know, very it's insoluble. Very dense. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah. I mean, okay. I mean, a good plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm concerned about how you're going to get it back afterwards because surely they are going to want their Nobel Prizes back. Oh, yeah, no, don't worry, don't worry. This is all very clever. So de Hefsey said, um, while the invading forces marched in the streets of Copenhagen, I was busy dissolving Laos and also James Frank's medals, which imagine like you're standing there, there's like marching feet going past and you're like, come on, (laughs) dissolve, because it takes a while. I'm sure it does. But I'm just loving that the... uh solution that they've come up with to this problem is put it in acid i feel like that's very much a our D group yeah <laughs> response to things so the thing is it worked um if you dissolve a if you dissolve gold into aqua regis it basically turns orange so okay. you end up with this orange solution right so basically <laughs> uh Dehevsi had this beaker of an orange liquid and then he stuck it on a lab shelf with a bunch of other chemicals. Right. And left it there. Okay. He came back and discovered that it had carbonated, <laughs> and thus he invented iron brew. Yeah, that's why it's like worth its weight in gold. And that's why it's so metallic tasting. Yeah. <laughs> no, so the Nazis turn up. They don't find the gold medals at all yeah, because they're not looking for a beaker of orange liquid. Yeah. Um, later on, Hevsey had to flee to Stockholm in 1943 because he was also Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, and later, after after VE Day, he returned to Denmark, right. went back to the lab, and found the beaker undisturbed. Ah, oh, nice. So it's still there. So he reversed the chemistry, and he precipitated out a lump of gold. Oh, cool. So then in 1950, when he had all the gold, he sent all of this back to the Swedish Academy in Stockholm. And the Nobel Foundation then recast the Nobel (laughs) Prize Prizes using the original gold and presented them again to Von Lau and to James Frank in 1952. Damn, that's amazing. Isn't that cool? I mean... I would love to be the person working for the Nobel Prize Institute who receives that package. Yeah. Because it would be amazing to just get a really heavy package. You open up. It's just a lump of gold and a note just saying, can you make some medals? Yeah. It's like, this is weird. This is not what I normally have to do. (laughs) Mostly I'm fielding phone calls. Now I'm casting gold. Yeah. It's just absolutely mad. Oh, by the way, uh, De Hevsey later on got a Nobel Prize, a Nobel Prize as well. Amazing. Because everyone gets one. Oh, yeah. It's like Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to That Time When. You can follow us on Twitter at That Time When 4. And if you have any suggestions for episodes, you can email them to us at ttwpod at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, to Kevin McLeod for our theme song, Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby's put in the pod. 
And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and hide Nobel Prizes up your ass. No, you dissolve them in acid, Barnaby. Up your ass. Bye.